This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with Richard Lord. And Richard is the top dog and CEO of Assistance Dogs Australia. And he's also serving as the current chairman of Assistance Dogs International. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Richard Lord to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. I'm so thrilled to welcome Richard Lord to the show today. Hello, Richard, and welcome. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, well, we're so excited because we just have heard so many wonderful things about the work you're doing at Assistance Dogs Australia. So, And we love your byline, Changing Australia One Dog at a Time. So tell us about the work that you're doing. Okay, well, we're about to celebrate 20 years of operation next year. And over that time, we've moved from uh, originally helping people with uh, physical disabilities, people who require wheelchairs to get around. And more recently, we've been introducing service dogs for people who suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome. We're also working with families who have children with autism. And uh, next week's very exciting because we're placing our first two dogs in a trial project for uh, couples where one has early onset dementia. So uh, we're looking uh, very excitedly to see how that progresses. Oh, wow. That's really exciting. Wow. So tell us about the training for that dog. How is it different from the training that you use for people who use wheelchairs? The basic training is all the same. Of course, you're trying to get a nice obedient dog that's well socialized and uh, is very obedient. But then it's just looking at the needs of uh, these people with the early onset uh, dementia. And one of the issues is uh, being able to use the dog as a mental and physical anchor. So when the the couple goes out, the the person with dementia may sit at the cafe and mind the dog while their partner goes next door to the bank or the supermarket. 
So in that regard, they can also stay at home. Of course, they're quite happy to stay at home and look after the dog, which allows their partner to uh, go out and uh, carry out some tasks knowing that the uh, the person will be fine. But the dogs are also trained to uh, using alarms or, or bells that uh, at certain times during today to bring the the pill box so that the medications are delivered to the person in the current time and also water and of course to bring the lead along to encourage them to take the dog out for a walk and uh, that's great for the uh, socialization of the person as well to get them back out exercising and, and meeting more people on the street yes oh that's wonderful richard i'm so excited to hear that especially as we have so many people aging and and experiencing dementia that's awesome Yes, well, there's another project going on in Scotland that's been working for a couple of years now, so we're working closely with them, the same professors working on uh, looking at both programs, so we're, we're hoping to be able to get some comparable data out of both of these pilot programs. The one in Scotland carried out by Dogs for Good and working with the uh, Dementia Association up there in Scotland. Uh, and in Australia, we're working with Hammond Care, who are the uh, dementia experts here. Oh, that's great. Well, I also saw where you were having a parents' autism workshops and support program. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's uh, PAUSE, so Parents' Autism Workshop and Support. And again, this is uh, another program we've come across from one of our uh, overseas partners. And uh, this program started in uh, in England. been going for a number of years, and I think they've worked with about 600 families over the last uh, four or five years. And uh, it's an opportunity to um, work with parents and uh, they may already have their own dog and just be able to give them some uh, training and some uh, skills and tips on how to use their own dog to help with the the children in their family or the child in their family with autism. And this uh, program, again, started uh, by Dogs for Good, in the UK has uh, now not only come to Australia but uh, it's also in the Netherlands and I believe that uh, it'll be happening soon in uh, Belgium and Spain as well. Oh, that's so wonderful. we've developed the program a bit so that uh, we're giving our families uh, three options. Uh, they may have a suitable dog already that can be helped to uh, or trained to help with uh, their children with autism or they could raise one of our puppies under our supervision, which hopefully will go on to graduate and, and be, their, be their dog. Or, um, as with some of our other dogs, they may wish to choose a dog that's already been trained and is about two years old. But the program uh, has a twofold outcomes. Uh, a lot of these families are split up, unfortunately, under the stress of, of having uh, children with autism. So having that constant uh, dog in the picture seems to hold the families together, which is terrific. And then the, the dog can be used as a, a model for positive behaviours. Uh, I know we had uh, one child who didn't like putting on his school uniform so the dog would bring piece by piece uh, the uniform to the child. So start with the uh, the pants, and then the shirt, and the socks, and then the shoes, and the child was very happy to then put all the uniform on. So similar, you know, behaviours that are simple to us, but some kids don't like doing as simple as brushing your teeth or getting into the car or going to the dentist. 
whereas you could model that with the dog and get the dog in the car and then the child's quite happy to follow or brush the teeth of the dog and then change the toothbrush, of course, and then get the child to brush his teeth. So there's been some very positive behaviour-changing outcomes that we've seen so far. Uh, we've only worked with about 70 families so far, but of course there's, there's plenty of interest in this program around the country. I bet. That is fabulous. Well, tell us about how do you train your puppies? Do you use volunteer puppy raisers or how does that work in your program? Yeah, like most places around the world, we've got volunteer puppy raisers, individuals or families who have the time and the enthusiasm to work with one of our puppies for about 12 or 14 months. But more importantly, they've got the courage to hand the dog back over that yes, time. Yes, That's right. Oh. Most people say they couldn't do it because it'd be too hard to hand the dog back. So uh, we're lucky enough. I think our champion puppy raiser has done about seven dogs so far. But most people do one or two. And a lot of families like to do the puppy raising because they learn how to train a dog properly. And then they go out and buy their own pet dog after they've learned the skills. But of course, we've had you know issues finding enough puppy raisers around the country, and we're we're currently raising pups in four states, being in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and and Western Australia. But we've been in the uh, pups in prison program for about 12 years now and uh, over the time we've been in about 10 prisons and two uh, juvenile justice centres around Australia and that's been very positive. In, in fact, I was just at a, a ceremony yesterday up in Queensland at the Southern Queensland Correctional Centre that's been raising our pups for the last seven or eight years and having, having great results. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and how did you get that started with the pups in prison? Because I, I know of a couple of programs that are trying to get started, and I would love to hear what your experience was. Well, I think we approached the the Minister for Correctional Centres here in uh, the state of New South Wales, and uh, he showed a lot of interest in, the, in negotiations with uh, him and his department. They um, started it. Uh, as I said about 12 years ago at the Kirkconnell Correctional Centre which is about uh, three hours inland from Sydney and um, after a number of years of success there we then uh, showed the model to different prisons and, and different states and you know there was great interest after seeing the success of the first program so it uh, spread pretty quickly around around Australia. Sounds the, like it. Do they, how did you fund it Richard? Did the prisons support it? Yeah, we've been lucky enough to uh, have the prison support this program. And in Australia, uh, maybe like in other places around the world, some of the prisons are run by the government and others are, I suppose, funded by the government, but they're run by private uh, prison operators. And we've had success in both the, the public and, and private prisons. And uh, they've been lucky enough to uh, fund us for, for some of the costs, which makes it easier to operate. But uh, yes. you know, but it's been a great rehabilitation program. The inmates learn uh, uh, good communication skills. They also learn uh, teamwork. And they feel very positive about the good work they're doing uh, in giving mm -hmm. back to the community. And I feel that, um, and we have a team involved in the prison, so it's uh, the inmates, um, some staff members, and they get to take the dogs home on weekend and so forth and give them some socialisation outside. And then we have our, our staff or volunteer trainers who come in on a weekly basis. So you've got a good team working together there, all looking at the one goal of producing a, a good assistance dog. So 
So um, that's fantastic. You don't, yeah, something you don't see a lot in prison. You know, staff and inmates working together towards yes. a common goal. <laughs> and and I think having the dogs in the prison softens the whole prison environment uh, and yes. makes it a better better place to work for all the staff oh, I'm as sure. well. I'm and sure. How long? How long do the puppies stay at the prison with an inmate? Well, they usually uh, go in when they're about 16 weeks or so, oh. and they, they're probably in there for about 12 months. And uh, depending on, on the prison, each prison is different, of course. We've worked from low security up to uh, maximum security prisons, and have had a great success in, in each of those. And, and more recently, we've been in the, the juvenile justice centres for offenders who are uh, less than 18 years of age, and we're having the same good success there as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I know, as you said, it, it's win-win for everybody that's involved with that. That's just, that's fabulous. Love that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you guys are doing such innovative things. I mean, you're really on the cutting edge of different types of assistance dogs. Yeah, well, we're very lucky. And being part of Assistance Dogs International, we get to see what other groups uh, are doing around the world. And uh, one thing I like about uh, the association at Assistance Dogs International, that people are very ready to share their ideas and information and resources. So, uh, you know, we're willing with, uh, I think we have about 180 members now around the world to, uh, you know, share our successes and, and help organisations in different parts of the world get into training of new types of assistance dogs if, if that's the way they want to go. Right. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors, but we want to come back and continue talking about Assistance Dogs International because I know our listeners want to hear from you and, and we have a few questions for you about that. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Do you know that moment when your dirty dog's about to jump in your nice, clean car? You can avoid all the cleanup and mess with a 4K9 seat cover. 4K9 makes heavy-duty seat covers and cargo liners that will blend seamlessly with the interior of your vehicle. You can find us at 4K9s.com, that's the number 4, K-N-I-N-E-S.com, or on Amazon.com. 4K9s makes nothing but the best for your best friend. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. 
we're visiting today with Richard Lord, top dog and CEO of Assistance Dogs Australia. And before the break, we were talking about Assistance Dogs International, and Richard is the current chair of that organization, which is the premier assistance dog organization for the assistance dog industry. So tell us, Richard, a little bit about ADI. What's the organization's mission and purpose? Well, it's all about uh, ensuring high standards for uh, assistance dog providers right around the world. Their main work is in the accreditation of uh, assistance dog organizations, but they're also about educating the community about assistance dogs and uh, supporting our members to be the best they possibly can. That's wonderful. Well, I know that that you guys actually go out and work with organizations and you actually accredit organizations. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. New organizations can put in an application and, and if they get through that, they become a candidate. And then they've got five years to build up for all the experience and, uh, and knowledge and and produce, I think it's about uh, 10 dogs now. And once they've done that, they can then go for accreditation, which is a very rigorous process. Firstly, there's a, a lot of paperwork to do. We look at everything about that organization from their structure, ensuring that they're a charitable organization, they have a board, they have a mission, they have uh, all the uh, procedures in place, everything from uh, workplace safety to uh, how they uh, support and uh, communicate with their supporters and clients, but also we look uh, at their training techniques and ensure that they're all positive-based training and that they're putting out a, uh, a product that uh, we feel is you know, up there to the, a high standard that uh, Assistance Dogs International will be proud of. So it's quite a rigorous procedure and uh, once people have uh, gained uh, accreditation they have to apply for re-accreditation every five years so uh, we're very similar to the International Guide Dog Federation who do the same thing for their uh, 80 uh, guide dog members around the world so uh, we try to work closely with them where um, I'd like to work more closely with the International Guide Dog Federation but that's that's one of my dreams for the future to have one uh, international body and uh, I'll be working hard towards that but at the moment Assistance Dogs International has 180 members around the world and it's growing a large amount of uh, members in uh, Northern America and also Europe and uh, the UK but we have about uh, 10 members here in Australia New Zealand but we're also growing in Asia with members in uh, Taiwan Japan and Korea and you know, interest from other parts like China and uh, other Asian areas. And, of course, we're also moving into South America where there's uh, a number of organizations starting up as well. So we're certainly uh, very global and, uh, you know, as part of the mission is all also about assisting new players to get up and running and to uh, meet the uh, the international standards. That's excellent. Yes. And those standards are so important. I know the organization that I'm working with now, they just had their accreditation site visit. And I know it was a very rigorous process and they were up for reaccreditation. And it is engaging and it's really looking at a lot of things. But that's so important because, as you know, there's so many organizations that unfortunately are not accredited and that do not go through that process. And I always, when people ask, 
ask me, how do I get an assistance dog? I always tell them that they want to go through an accredited ADI organization because of all of the background work and effort that goes into getting that accreditation is just tremendous. Yeah, well, that's right. For, for all your listeners who, who may know someone who wants a service dog, I'd recommend that they always look for an accredited agency, someone through ADI, and you're going to ensure through that that you're going to get a, a dog that's trained to the highest of standards. But you're also going to ensure that uh, you're going to have the support from that organisation for the uh, the eight to ten years of the working life of uh, the particular dog. And that's quite important as people's lives change and they may move or uh, other circumstances may happen and they may need the support of uh, that agency um, to support those changes which may affect their dog. I know for in our case, uh, we had a young, uh, young gentleman who required a wheelchair to get around and he went on to become the deputy mayor of his uh, his local town and uh, he went off to all these events that mayors would go to, deputy mayors, and um, his dog didn't like applause. So you can imagine going to openings oh. and schools and different things and the, and the dog didn't yes. like it. So we had to come down and do a bit of retraining to uh, to get that dog used to that sort of thing. So simple <laughs> things that we learn along the way and, and unfortunately... One of our uh, young girls who had a dog was involved in a, in a car accident on a, on a crossing and the, the girl and the dog were hit. They both survived, but of course the, the dog was a bit reticent to go near cars after that, so we had to do some retraining. So when you know you've got that uh, accredited organisation backing your dog, you know that they're there for the long haul and uh, yes. they're ready to support you through uh, all the times with your dog and of course they prepare you for when your dog's coming up for retirement because that's a, a fairly um, troubling time for many people knowing that their, yes, their dog's going to is. retire and, <laughs> and uh, you know be able to prepare, prepare them for that maybe two years out to get them ready to work out what they're going to do with their retiring yes. dog and whether they want a successor dog or and if they do want a successor dog what they want to do with their their existing dog who they want to look after it in their uh, retirement time and years. So there's a lot of work goes into that as well, ensuring uh, a, a neat handover for the new dog uh, taking over from the, the retiring dog. Yes, yes. All of those things are all things that we talk about on our show, because as you said, it's that retirement can be really, really difficult. So I love that you do that two years out and start looking at that. That's really good. And it's so respectful to the person and the dog. That's awesome. I love that. Well, so here in the United States, we have a lot of issues with fake service dogs. And I was, you know, with people trying to pass off their pet or, you know, and acting like it's a service dog when it has not been through the training and have the obedience that certified programs require of their dogs. So do you guys have that problem in Australia, Richard? Yeah, it's probably a big issue around the world. Uh, I think um, in the United States, unfortunately, you know, through websites and so forth, you can buy fake jackets and fake IDs and yes. register on, on fake websites and uh, the difficulty is people just want to take their dogs everywhere and of course there's some financial benefits I know in Australia that uh, if you take your dog on the domestic plane here the, the, all the airlines are very generous and give the dog a free seat not that they get to sit on it of course they sit on the floor near the window but uh, it's a free seat but if you were transporting your dog uh, 
underneath the plane in the freight section, it probably cost you, uh, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. So unfortunately, there's some people who try to rort the system, so to get their dog in the cabin or, or take it to a hotel and have it stay with them rather than putting it in the kennels while they go away. So it's we're trying to educate the legislators and uh, transport operators that you know what is a real dog, a real assistance dog, and what isn't. And unfortunately, it's always difficult because people running uh, these services may not have a lot of dog knowledge and uh, and they're often persuaded by people who seem to have some sort of disability or claim to have one and they don't want to be seen to be discriminating against them so they often let them get away with taking their dog. Yes, yes, it's very sticky. Yes, when you start dealing with those issues. Fortunately, it does. I know my dog has been to other dogs in public where they've been supposedly an a dog and they Absolutely, we're not. And it, it really it puts at risk and our public access at risk, which is really concerning. Yeah, and that's right. And all we can do is hope to educate service providers because in the end, when they have so many decisions to make a public dog, uh, a public dog, you know, they just give up and ban all dogs, which then, you know, does right. discriminate against people with genuine disabilities who have that, that dog to alleviate uh, the effects of that. Exactly, exactly. That's always our concern about that, about making sure that we can retain that public access that's so important. Any kind of campaigns about that? Well, I know we have our regional uh, committees. So we've got one in North one in Europe and, of course, Wallania, Australia, New Zealand and the islands. And uh, those committees, you know, tackle the uh, lawmakers and uh, mm-hmm. governments in their local area and uh, at all opportunities try to promote these access activities. Uh, I know currently here in New South Wales, we've been working with uh, the guide dogs and the New South Wales police. And we've uh, now developed a, a little clients can have a number of and all the rights of assistance dog users. And it also uh, gives the police number. So back you go to a, a service provider, a cafe or a theatre or whatever that uh, won't let you in because you've got your accredited assistance dog. You can hand them over the card and ask them to ring the police and they will uh, quite happy to intervene. So that's a new uh, development here in New South Wales. We're hoping that we may be able to spread that uh, across to uh, other states around Australia. And yes. it may be something that uh, through Assistance Dogs International, uh, other organisations might want to talk to. And mm-hmm. it gives our uh, gives our clients a, a sense of comfort. And I think most uh, service providers then look at this card and say, well, they, they seem to have the backing of the police. Uh, it must be a, a genuine article and uh, allow them in. Did you do training with the police on that, on the cards? Yeah, we've talked to the police and uh, here in New South Wales, the police are very uh, interested in, in learning about assistance dogs and how they can mm-hmm. recognize uh, the difference between a real one and a, and, uh, and a fake one. And yes. uh, so we're hoping that uh, you know, that's a model that may uh, catch on around the world if other police uh, organisations are interested in uh, assisting, um, you know, some of the community that uh, require these dogs and, and may be discriminated against. Yeah, that's so important. And I know law enforcement in the United States, they seem very interested in that because, as you said, they need to be able to determine the difference. And sometimes they're in difficult situations when they're trying to do that. So, again, it's it's helping everybody, right? Supporting law enforcement to help them yeah. do a better job. 
And that's yeah. right. And I think it's up to um, assistance dog organisations and guide dog organisations to get on uh, different committees around their local town where they can. It, it can be the um, public transport, accessibility, uh, accessibility committee like we have here. We also have a, an aviation forum here for all the airlines and for people with disabilities. So, uh, And these organisations or committees meet a few times a year, but it's an opportunity for service dog providers to get on those committees and uh, yeah, help educate the service providers, but also uh, be able to uh, lobby on behalf of uh, their yes. clients and members. And that's really the way to make change, right? Is to be at the table, at the decision-making table where you can educate and create awareness. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, you really are the top dog at Assistance Dogs Australia. It's awesome what you guys are doing. It's so exciting to hear, and it's such a comprehensive program that you have. So I'm just so glad that you'd spend this time with us today, Richard, and share this with us. And I hope you'll come back and tell us more about the programs as you develop them, especially the work that you're doing with people who have dementia. That's really exciting. So we'd love to hear more about that as you place more dogs. Yeah, well, it's been uh, fantastic that you've taken an interest in us today, Marcy, and we'd be more than happy to uh, come back to your program uh, at any time. Awesome, and congratulations on your 20th anniversary. We'll be watching you on Facebook. I'm sure that there'll be lots of things posted. And tell us, Richard, before you go, how can our listeners contact you if they want more information or if they want to support Assistance Dogs Australia? Well, as you mentioned, we have the, the Facebook page, and we are also have a, a website as well, which is assistancedogs.org.au. And our Facebook page is just Assistance Dogs Australia. Any of our listeners can contact us through either of those two mediums. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us. And thank you for your emails. We love to hear from you. So please keep those coming. And you can always email me at marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can now follow Working Like Dogs on Instagram. So we'd love to hear from you. So keep that communication coming. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.